Welcome to Doing Sustainability, a podcast that features practical and actionable approaches to sustainability, brought to you by Baker. In every episode, we have enlightened conversations with corporate and business leaders on the vision, motivation, actions, and impacts of sustainability. We discuss best practices, fresh perspectives, tips, and solutions to help a company demonstrate its ESG commitment and position themselves for long-term success. Hi, I'm your host, Rocket. And I'm your host, Gary. Let's start the show. Today, we're speaking with Kristen Fuller. Kristen, welcome to Doing Sustainability. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. You know, I've read that you're obsessed with mainstreaming sustainability in sports and live entertainment, and you're dedicated to inspiring positive change through tactical actions and activations. I think we can call that doing sustainability. You're a project manager at heart. Kristen brings your sustainability, building design, construction, and development expertise to all facets of venue operations to ensure that sustainability is baked into every step. Currently, she's the head of sustainability for the Oakview Group, the largest developers of sports and live entertainment venues in the world. She was the founder and CEO of Reciproc. This was interesting. A front office sustainability agency that integrates sustainability and well-being solutions into existing properties and goals of sports and organizations front office to drive cross-departmental engagement to maximize positive impact. Want to know how to do that? <laughs> that sounds great. I love the name, front office. In sports, the front office is is relevant. So try to use language exactly. that people in sports understand. Yeah, exactly. But no different than doing it for C-suite office <laughs> in corporations. Previously, you were a senior sustainability strategist for Futura on a mission to make, what's the word? Anthropocene. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Chris, who worked at WeWork, and uh, you had several roles there, and worked in sustainability at U.S. Portfolio Property and Construction for Land Lease Corporation. You studied at the Virginia Tech, where you got a public and urban affairs major environmental affairs and residential minor. Later went on to study at the University of Texas, Austin. She earned a master's degree in the science of architectural and sustainability design. Yeah, so lots lots of uh, building influence in my background. That's something that every company is involved in, where their operations are. So, um, Kristen, I'm going to start this one a bit different. What's the most important mission we need to talk about on the show? Oh, I would say the most important issue, I think, is maybe back to the beginning around mainstreaming sustainability, because I think now there's increasingly more mainstream opportunities for access to sustainable solutions. But unfortunately, it's still a politicized topic or it's it felt like a nice to have and maybe something that, you know, people with higher incomes or more of the elite are able to do, but not something that is tangible or accessible for the everyday person to make sustainable choices. So I think mainstreaming sustainability is, like you said at the beginning, something that I believe is is really critical. And 
why in working in sports and entertainment now feels like a really powerful mechanism to be able to do that. Well, you get right at um, an issue that too many people see sustainability and ESG as an extra cost rather than fitting it in and understanding long term how it's actually something that adds to value. Absolutely. And really, if you, if you do it right, it shouldn't even feel like something else. Like uh, another part of the my background that you read, you know, mentioned it having sustainability baked into a process or part of every step. Ideally, one of my first bosses in sustainability said, you know, ideally we don't have jobs because it's just part of the everyday. You don't need a sustainability expert because everyone should at least understand the principles. So far, not the case, but um, can can still try to to work towards that. That your project manager at heart still, uh, you know, keeps it going. That that really that's what every sustainable uh, officer, you know, should and ideally becomes uh, to anything that's being built or converted within a company to a more sustainable way. Yeah, absolutely. I think project management is about doing and action and implementation. And I know that there are a lot of sustainability leaders out there that are visionaries and innovators and thinking really big picture, which we absolutely need. But to mainstream something, you really need that connection to the vision with the reality and overcoming challenges, which we have a lot of. You said so oftentimes sustainability is seen as an added cost, but really it can be good business. Sports teams and venues have a platform on the topic of social change and have the ability to shine a light on issues that matter in a way that many businesses don't. Venue operators say, okay, we get it. Now what do we do about that? How do you advise them? Yeah, so I would say first try to make sustainability feel personal to them. So I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of leading venues or teams in sustainability. Uh, Oakview Group built Climate Pledge Arena, which has a huge amount of sustainability leadership uh, accolades of of sorts, being the first uh, zero carbon certified uh, arena ever being powered 100% by renewable energy. They have a rain-to-rink system, so it takes all of the rainwater and puts it into the NHL-grade ice that the hockey players play on uh, and many, many, many other initiatives. And so all of those things make sense in Seattle and make sense in that community and make sense for the Seattle Kraken, which have really embodied that brand. But that would not be applicable in Phoenix or in New York or in any other market. And so making it personal and relatable at a local level, I think, is really important. So as we're working with a venue or a team, the first question we ask is what they love about their community and build initiatives around protecting the things they love and overcoming the challenges that are unique to them. And then how they tackle those things is where they fall on that level of ambition. Some of them want to be the best in the world. Some of them want to be the best in their state, or some don't care about that and just want to help incubate and build small businesses. So understanding what feels natural and organic to those companies or or teams or venues is really important. And then try to just build an authentic way of leading that feels right for them. So it's not always about carbon emissions or always about waste. 
It's about what makes sense for them. You're in it, and as we talked about sustainability, you're in a unique business in that you're in a design, build, engineer, construct business. And there are so many products, methods, processes today that you can build so much sustainability right into uh, venues and structures and environments. And you only have one time to, well, not one time, but you have one good time to get it right uh, in the design and construction component. Yeah. So at least for a few years before any renovations happen and, you know, that choice, the decision of what type of material one over another, the orientation of the building or how the, the where the windows are and where the lobby is and how the building systems work, you have one time to get that right and it likely changes the way the building operates from there on out without any major renovations, which of course are very costly. So definitely try to highlight that, but also we work with a lot of venues that are over 25 years old. And so try to also not necessarily make them feel bad or make them feel like they they don't have any opportunities to take action, even if they're in an older building, but try to help them understand solutions they can do even in an older building and things that they can, changes they can make operationally, even yeah. with a building that might not have been built to support them. And what are some of those things since, you know, most companies, um, not just venues, have uh, properties and buildings that they operate in? And I don't know if, if, you know, what's the cost compared to actually just starting over? Yeah, it, it's definitely, it's a tough question. So I would say, actually, Climate Pledge Arena and, and Oakview Group are also recently opened CFG Bank Arena in Baltimore. Both of those buildings are technically renovations. Climate Pledge Arena just maintained the historically preserved roof and basically redid everything underneath it. But even by doing that, we calculated the amount of embodied carbon emissions avoided by saving all of the steel and concrete from the very large roof. Same thing, CFG Bank Arena, we did a calculation and found about a 95% embodied carbon emissions avoidance because we kept all of the structural elements of the building and steel and concrete in the design process, consume a huge amount of carbon emissions. So the careful selection definitely helps set you up for success so that you know if you're renovating, chances are, at least from an embodied carbon emissions perspective, there's a lot there. That said, when you renovate, you have a whole bunch of constraints that make it more challenging to integrate more electrification, uh, especially in an older building without that access to power. Systems are harder to redesign. But in all of those cases, operationally, any event that you go to, if you picture, if you go to a basketball game, let's say, as a fan, and you ask most fans what they noticed from a sustainability perspective, I would Assume that most of them would point to a recycling bin on the concourse or the plastic water bottles that they're holding. And so all of the physical materials that go in and out of our buildings on a daily basis, that waste effort is a huge area where it doesn't matter how the building's designed or operates, you can probably address and reduce the waste, prioritize composting, avoid single-use plastic, site separate some of that waste to make sure that you can honestly get money back for some of those recycled materials, reuse what you can't. Procuring energy is another one. So, you know, you can buy energy straight from the grid that might be generated from coal. You could also 
probably find ways to prioritize renewable energy procurement. You're still consuming the same amount of energy in the building that you need to power a concert or a basketball game, but different ways to to purchase it that might have a different carbon footprint. Water is another one. So that costs a huge amount of money. Uh, most cities pay a huge amount for water. So even just small upgrades like bathroom upgrades, toilets get flushed, sinks get uh used quite a lot at a large event. So even just making those more efficient will likely give you a pretty quick return on investment. So those are all things you can do with an existing building. And then, of course, the biggest one about mainstreaming is just using your brand and your platform to influence all of the people coming through your building. So lots of great ways to engage and educate fans and work with corporate partners who already have sustainability solutions to show those brands and those solutions directly with fans. That's interesting because you really do have that opportunity to give awareness to fans. And I think they do notice those small things um, and it makes them think about what they could do. But I don't know if, you know, if I wish there was a way to educate or heighten their awareness of some of the bigger things, you know, that are about the building that could inspire them to look at different ways that they could do something in their own personal lives or in the companies that they work for. There's probably some that are just about showing them how their team or their local venue is really sustainable. And then there are some that are meant to inspire consumer action. So I would say one of the examples that some of our venues do is provide alternative transportation ticket directly in the event ticket so they could take alternative transportation to get to the event for free so that maybe shows them maybe they haven't taken let's say local train in the past it's their first time trying it hopefully it wasn't you know as challenging as they thought it might be to navigate and so that might be a way that we can help incentivize them to just try different options that does change their everyday but i also think there's a lot of opportunities for us to just show them and just honestly mainstream, just make the language around sustainability more commonplace. Even if it's not going to change their day-to-day, -day, they're just more comfortable with some of these topics. UBS Arena in New York, where the Islanders play hockey, is one of Oakview Group's buildings. And they do an in-game quiz. You know, they have like trivia questions throughout in-game activations with fans. Mm -hmm. But they have some focus on sustainability you know, this year, how many pounds of waste have we diverted from landfill? And, you know, there's four guesses and they give someone the microphone and they win a prize when they guess it. So different things like that that can um, just get fans comfortable with the topic as well. What do you feel about, uh, I mean, like LEED certification, which a lot of the companies, you know, they achieve or they aspire to? with all of their buildings, how do they, how does that stay up with the innovation that's really, um, you know, happening every year uh, of what's possible in construction? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, LEED certification has been great for quite a long time now at validating design and construction efforts and sustainability and make sure that it's done across many different topics because you have to have, you know, meet those, those minimum requirements in a lot of different energy, water, uh, materials, et cetera. So I think generally, as far as uh, driving the industry, we did so well at making their brand and that certification effective that it is almost minimum standard in some places, but they continue to make 
come out with new evolutions of the standard that do make it more and more challenging. So when I worked in construction, people were using version 2.2 or 3 of LEED, and now they're passing version 4. So each one of those has gotten more and more challenging. Within sports and entertainment, though, LEED certification is hard to achieve because our buildings are quite different in terms of how our systems operate than others. And so a lot of the ways that LEED measures things like energy use, you know, there's measurements around energy use intensity, for example, and that's energy use per square foot. But in our buildings, square footage is not used in the same way as in a commercial office space or in a residential building. And so there have been efforts to try to apply and reapply the standard to something that's more applicable for sports and entertainment because our buildings do function very differently. But in terms of providing standards for purchasing building materials or standards around like water efficient fixtures, it's, I think, still a, a quite a good standard. Yeah, I often marvel on how and then you can have a football game uh, during the day and then turn it into a concert at, at night in the whole thing. All the people change out and you got to deal with all that that's left behind and and changing out the field and putting in a, a entertainment uh, a venue. And then uh, that, that is over. And probably the next day, there's another event that's going to happen. And there's a lot going on there. And, and there's a lot of waste. Uh, there's a lot of energy being consumed, a lot of toilets being flushed. Yes, I can understand how the league would be much different what you are doing there. Yeah, absolutely. And the turning over the building is one of the main reasons why sustainability in our industry is so difficult because it's really hard to look multiple seasons in the future and not know, is this team still going to be a tenant in my building? What yeah. concerts am I going to book that year? Who's yeah. going to be touring that year to be able to set goals that are looking, you know, 2025, 2030 goals, like so many other more commercial buildings or other types of companies are able to set. And that's because operators, they have to look towards tomorrow and making sure that the stage is set up in time or that, you know, the rigging will hold all the lights properly so that people aren't in danger of safety, right? There's like more immediate priorities that make it difficult to balance sustainability. Not that it's impossible, but it does make it a challenge. I wonder, have you yet run into a situation where a company who wants to put their name on a stadium or a facility won't unless the facility is sustainable at this point? I love that question. And I also love the inverse of that question, which is, will the venue take that company's money if yeah. they believe in what that company has made money in? And I would say both have been, both have come up. So. Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle is named after Amazon's sustainability initiative, the Climate Pledge. And so it could have been named Amazon Arena. Um, you know, Amazon's based in Seattle, just down the street. Easy enough, of course, you know, if they need more brand association, there it is with the hockey arena. But they chose to name it after their sustainability pledge. And the building truly embodies that pledge to the nth degree. The team holds our operations team incredibly accountable. There's monthly meetings in place and there's continuous progress towards those goals. And the naming rights contract actually had sustainability achievements as part of it. So we are financially committed to achieving some of the goals that they had required there, which is 
which is great. And then the other side of it is, of course, you know, are there companies that we don't want to align with as an industry that we don't necessarily want our building to be named after? I would say that's very much a geographic question. So in certain geographies, maybe like Texas, oil and gas companies are more prominent and bigger piece of the business. It might make more sense. Um, but even still, we're seeing some evolution of company names. You know, a lot of the oil and gas companies have alternative energy division and a lot of conversation about how they build up the reputation of that company through naming rights and sports related to the other sides of their business as well. Yeah, here in Los Angeles, we have, I think, maybe a 20-year-old basketball arena where the Lakers played and a Staples Center. Everybody loved it. And then a few years back, they dropped out and it was called Crypto.com. You know, I think the story's still out around that uh, notion and that business. So that's crazy. I'm going to ask you about Oakview, and you're relatively new there, correct? About a year and a half. Their mission says on the website, it says, our mission is to be a, a positive disruption to business as usual in the sports, live entertainment, and hospitality industries. We disrupt, develop, and deliver the best venues and experiences in the world, shaping our future and leaving it better than it was. What do they consider positive disruption? It's a good question. Question we get uh, often. I would say, from my perspective, all of the leaders in Oakview Group, all of the founders came from the sports and entertainment industry, some competitive companies, some other companies just in the, the wider industry, and built Oakview Group with the mindset that we wanted things to be better than different, innovate more than business as usual in sports and entertainment, which has basically been the same for decades and decades. And so positive disruption, I think the word disruption was really about showing people that there could be a different way to do things. And that looks like everything from totally changing the premium experience in how we design our premium spaces in our buildings, and then even bring people in to experience those experiences, how we offer uh, unique food and beverage services, and also positive disruption in we don't have to build an arena stadium the same way without sustainability in mind. We can be more proactive just like we have. And I think Climate Pledge Arena being our first development was a, a really good example of how we could positively disrupt and show the industry what's possible on a pretty big scale when it comes to sustainability. And do you guys have a purpose statement or is it wrapped up in your mission? We're working on building out a wider brand that kind of clarifies those points and actually includes more of a sustainability framework within it with tactical goals that align to the company at large because we do own several large venues. We operate 300-something venues on behalf of other owners. We have food and beverage accounts in many different types of live entertainment. And then we also have service businesses, sustainability consultancy, parking advisory, public safety advisory. And so we want to build a mission statement as well as a sustainability plan that kind of aligns to that business, which has only really taken effect as they've built out and acquired several other companies. In that process, and I would refer that to that as your corporate brand, I didn't see any value statements on the, the website. Will that be part of this process you're going through? 
Yeah, so we'll definitely be really clear about our key value areas. Right now, the way it might be phrased is the values that we have within the company, which are sustainability, diversity, equity, inclusion, and safety. So those are just ways that we operate the business every day within the the company, but we'll likely be a little bit more clear about what that is and how that loops in together with positive disruption. You know, I don't think that we all think about that when we go to events right now and um, having more of a highlight, a light shining on it, I think would be a positive force for change uh, within a community. Absolutely. Yeah. If it's, you know, a typical fan goes to a building, they're not thinking about Climate Pledge Arena. They're thinking about the Seattle Kraken or Billie Eilish or whoever is playing that show. And really all of the sustainability efforts or all of the great experience that they have because of the venue is likely reflected on the team or the artist of that concert. People think, oh, that was a great concert, and they don't necessarily give credit to the building or the venue. But they do remember they are more likely to come back if they had a good experience. So venues, like the actual venues themselves, are a little bit more behind the scenes. But by building out that reputation of creating that great experience, it equips us with more opportunities to book bigger and better artists and more and more artists in the future and bring people to the the venue more and more. So definitely a quieter background. People. Your artists are your are your sports stars or your teams. They want to be a part of a positive experience and a positive change, maybe even positive disruption, whatever you know that that, that is, and uh, uh, you know that reflects on their brand. So mm-hmm. you know if, if they're if they're at a venue that's not of the of that world leading caliber uh, around sustainability and talent. When you work with the, uh, you know, the, the venues, who is it that you interact with? I'm, I mean, in the sense of the leadership, you know, is it coming down from the top or is it in the middle that are trying to push a, a rock up? I would say all of the above. I think best case scenario is that the leadership really understands the value of sustainability and is able to echo that to the various teams that that make sense or that are, need to be part of the sustainability journey. Some of our venues have the GM and the president of the venue facilitating the monthly sustainability meetings. And in the ones that I participate in, it's amazing how engaged people are and how quickly they can get things done when the leader is involved. In other situations, you might not have that direct leadership support. And it is more grassroots. Someone within the organization is really passionate about it and is able to just move forward step by step. And typically, they just inherit the uh, title of sustainability manager and just kind of build that reputation more slowly. I think both situations are successful. And I would say the situation where the leader isn't as involved is probably a little more common. And it is owned typically by operations because operations can reduce utility costs and have a direct, I guess, quantified impact of why they'd make sustainable choices. And increasingly, corporate partnerships and marketing are really involved in sustainability as well because corporate brands are coming to them and interested in telling their sustainability story through our buildings. And so we want to help be proactive and be a part of that. So corporate partnerships really understand the value of talking and engaging brands around sustainability because it drives revenue. Maybe you know something about this. 
uh, I haven't read that much, but it's, it's, it's something that's going on very big here in LA. Uh, we have two basketball teams. The, the uh, stadium that I talked about, it was really built for the Lakers, but the LA Clippers, which are now owned by Steve Ballmer, who is the world's fifth or seventh richest man in the world, $117 billion. And they're building a new stadium in Inglewood, where there's a lot of sports stadiums. So they're building a brand new basketball stadium, cost a fortune. Ballmer's got all the money in the world. He's a very active owner. He sets courtside and jumps up and down during the games. So I can only imagine his involvement with building out this uh, new arena. Have you heard anything about that arena? Yeah, absolutely. Um, into a Dome, I think, is going to be yeah, set a lot of new sustainability standards, really. And, you know, I think, again, Climate Pledge Arena showed what's possible. They were the first to do a lot of these things. But now we're going to see Balmer's investment in Into a Dome and many others in the future trying to one up or maybe just continue to build on that momentum towards sustainability goals. So they have really great goals around being powered by renewable energy, around reducing carbon emissions. And I know they're investing in healthy buildings, health and wellness for for fans and visitors and, and many other things. So um, I know that they're going to do great things and the building's designed for success yes. up front. And we need that competition if it is competition within our industry so that there is kind of continuous progress in that direction. Yeah, I'm very excited to see what they're going to do. We have a, a new football stadium, SoFi, built for the Rams right there uh, in the same area where he's building this. And that, that was a world-class endeavor. And so it's the competition stiff and is a good kind of competition. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, uh, SoFi, you know, built without somewhat indoor, indoor-outdoor and built without air conditioning is uh, something, again, only local to LA is probably yeah. possible or certain localities, but shows our industry that you don't have to stick to the mandatory expectations of how to build buildings. So... I'm going to invite you to the podcast five years from now. What will our topic be? Oh, that's a great question. I hope that we will be talking about how regulation and compliance have continued to drive sustainability as a norm for any new building. There's a lot of new stadiums and arenas being talked about being built in the next few years. And so hopefully... Those have been built and we'll see some really great sustainability ambition into each one so that we don't just talk about Climate Pledge Arena and Intuit Dome and the few examples that we have, but that there's many more to choose from. And it's actually just a given as opposed to uh, an unusual feat. Fantastic. Kristen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a really interesting conversation. Yeah, it's very, very important topics. And, and there's, there's been backpedaling on a lot of issues lately and we just got to keep it going forward and keep doing it so greatly appreciate your your time on the show thank you so much yeah absolutely thank you look forward to five years from now me too absolutely bye-bye bye-bye thanks for listening this is just a reminder to follow doing sustainability wherever you get your podcast and please leave a rating and review if you like the show it helps others discover us. And of course, we want more listeners. If you want to learn more about our agency, Baker, and how we can help you build your corporate brand, align your culture, and evolve your ESG reporting, 
head to bakerbrand.com. See you in the next episode of Doing Sustainability, where we focus on practical and actionable approaches to sustainability to create long-term value.